Okay, well, if you would, uh, you could open your Bible to uh, James chapter 5. This is a sermon series on intercessory prayer, which is prayer on behalf of others, interceding on someone else's behalf, or being prayed for by someone else. And I want to be clear from uh, the beginning that I'm not in any way uh, diminishing the value of you praying on your own behalf. Uh, that is part, that's valid prayer. Uh, it's healthy. Obviously, there's uh, aberrant versions of every form of prayer. So there's selfish prayers, and then there are self-oriented prayers, and they're quite different. Um, but for the month of January, our focus is on intercessory prayer, which specifically is you praying on behalf of someone else, or you going to somebody and saying, I need prayer. Would you please pray for me? And and asking them to pray for you. And we'll be be in and out of of James and and the Old and New Testament over the month. Before we do that, something has, I think, is useful by way of introduction here. Uh, We were, we went to the beach this, this September. And it was the first time that I'd ever actually driven over the Indian... River Inlet Bridge, the new one. For years, I've driven right beside it, wondering if it would ever actually become a bridge. That's the br- For those of you who go to Be- Delaware beaches, it's the Bethany, the bridge there. And every time we find ourselves in that sort of situation, we scoff the construction as though, like, I can't believe they're not done yet, as though it takes a week to do these sorts of things. Um... And, you know, we act as though the little detour to the left is so hard and so difficult. And then I got to thinking, uh, do you remember when you had to take Route 13 to the beach? You remember that? Like, Highway 1 is the best thing that's ever happened to this state. (laughs) I mean, it used to be hard to get to the beach. Very hard. And everybody was trying to escape the come home time, but we'd all escape to the same time block. And you three hours on the way home. And, and there's things like that that used to be hard but are now easy. Roll-down windows. One of my children saw a roll-down window last year and did not know what it was. <laughs> it was, Dad, what is that? And I had to explain what a roll-down window was, and they thought it was cool. It was like, why can't we have a car with a roll-down window? <laughs> you know? Or um, mail. You know, my wife and I, we dated long distance in college. Uh, and we dated across the evolution of email. So we, have, we both still have our shoeboxes full of letters uh, that were actually written with our hands, uh, you know, until the advent of email, uh, which destroyed all healthy communications. <laughs> you know, you tell your children that TVs once had no remote. You had to get up and walk to the television and you know, in their minds, you're like, how do you channel surf? To which you say, well, you didn't surf. You only had three channels. So, you know, you knew what you had to do. And some of you, I know some of you are thinking, TV, we had radio. I, I mean, I know I'm young, and the, the, like the, it's been continuing to progress. But you understand, it used to be hard, and now it's easy. Has, has anyone ever grown up with an outhouse here? Yeah? One, two, yeah. Do you, hear, you see that? Outhouse. You can fly from Philadelphia to L.A. in about five-ish hours. Can you imagine telling Lewis and Clark that? Five hours, Philly to L.A. 
Some things are easy that used to be hard, but they're not easy because they're easy. They're easy because a tremendous amount of work has gone in to making, giving us access. Right? To fly from Philadelphia to L.A. is easy for us, but it's not easy. I mean, just an airport is a tremendously complex idea. The fact that you can put your bag at least 50% of the time on a carousel and that it would show up three time zones away 10 minutes after you land is is miraculous feat of technology. I mean, the concrete for a runway is tremendously complex. The, all of the, it's like you're, you're flying from one anthill to another anthill just to get there. And then not to even talk about the complexity of the airframe that's taking you there. There's a million pieces that are moving cooperatively together to make our trip from Philly to L.A. possible. But it's easy. Now, of these things, we take a lot of these things for granted, and there's really no cost to that in the sense of, um, I don't know if we're required to remember how it used to be all the time, especially with the conveniences of life. But there are some things that are easy for us now or that we have access to now that we really ought to remember where they came from. Our freedom to assembly, our freedom to assemble here this morning, that is easy for us, but it was not easily purchased. Right? Our freedom to speak the way we want to speak or to gather or all the freedoms that we have, they were bought at a great cost. And we ought to remember that as is our freedom this morning to pray. And let's see what James says about this. I'm going to read 13 through uh, 18 from the fifth chapter of James. It's page 839 if you're borrowing one of our Bibles, and if you don't have one, it's yours. This is what the writer says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The power of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, I said the focus is intercessory prayer, but I do want us just to look at this passage from a great distance and try to take in the broad meaning, just try to breathe in the broad meaning of this passage, which I think you would agree is something like this. You should pray. I think that's what the passage is saying. Like, kind of allow the anointing of oil to fade to the distance and allow the other thing to fade into distance. Allow Elijah's a man just like us to kind of drift away for a second And just look at what it's ultimately saying. And James is telling you, you should pray. Prayer is powerful and prayer is effective. That's what he's saying. He's saying you should pray in any way and every way. You should pray by yourself. You should pray with the elders. You should pray with others. You should confess your sins. The God looks for faithful prayers and he answers them. Prayer is powerful. 
That's what James is saying here. He's saying more than that, but to miss that would be to miss the heart of the, the teaching. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to either put a bookmark there in James. We're going to leave for a long time and then come back at the end. So whether you fold the corner, if you're that kind of person, or you put a bookmark or just use your finger, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 8. That's right. Leviticus chapter 8. I want to show you how it used to be. It's page 74, if you're using the, uh, one of the Bibles in the seats. Now, in Leviticus 8, by the time you get there, there's no introduction to the book of Leviticus. There's no lead-in. There's no opening paragraph or thoughtful chapter. It starts with burnt offering. Here's how to do a burnt offering. And then it goes to grain offering, and then it be, those are the kind of the modes of offering. And then it talks about the type of offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, fellowship offerings. And then in chapters 6 and 7, it begins to talk about the, how the priests ought to execute these offerings. And so chapters 1 through 8 of Leviticus, or through 7, have to do with how to do an offering. That's what's coming uh, th- through in the book of Leviticus, the the how-to of, of how to do offerings. And Leviticus begins this way because sacrifice and offering were the prescribed mechanism that God wanted his people to do in order to meet with him. So you, if there was something wrong in your life, whether it was a sin or an illness or a request, you would go to the tabernacle. It was called the tent of meeting because that's where the priest would meet with God on your behalf. That was the idea. The idea was that the, the, the tabernacle, the entire framework of all of that practice and ritual in the Hebrew life was the Lord's way of saying, this is how my people meet with me. Is they come and a priest intercedes on their behalf and that is how I meet with them. It was the tent of meeting. And I want to be careful to say this. Um, So I'll be careful to say it, and so be careful to hear what I'm saying. This does not mean, I don't think, that the Lord could not hear your prayer back then. God has always looked on the heart of man. He's always been concerned about the heart of man. This doesn't mean that a a contrite, repentant heart, that the Lord didn't hear that. The, the, The prophets all the time Say things like, I'm tired of the sacrifice. What I want is a contrite heart. What all of this is establishing is God is choosing the way to paint himself to the people. So the the sacrificial process that we're about to look at is God's way of letting his people know how difficult it is to come to him. That's what's going to be shown here. This is a picture from the Lord. There is, the Lord is saying, there is only one God to whom you can go, and I am here. And in order for you to come to me, God is saying that there has to be blood shed because there's, there's a gulf of sin between man and myself. And he's saying that we, I can't look upon that. So there has to be sacrifice, and there has to be intercession. The, person, the sinful person can't sacrifice on their own behalf. Because that itself would be sinful. So there needs to be intercession for that sacrifice. That's, God says, I want my people to always know that. That they can't simply just come to me. Or they can't simply pray to anybody. 
And we arrive here in the eighth chapter of Leviticus with the ordination of Aaron and his sons. So thus far, Moses has been doing most of the intercession uh, for the people uh, to God. But this is the point in Scripture where the Lord ordains Aaron and his sons to begin to serve the priestly functions in the tabernacle. And we're going to read, we're going to read a lot, not, not too much, but a lot. And the reason I want to read a lot is I want you to feel it. This is it. I want you to feel the tediousness, the religious cumbersomeness of just getting to the Lord. You ready? Eight verses one through three. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Okay, let's stop there. So the Lord's just kind of bundling up for Moses. Bring everything that needs to happen before me. And then the process begins. In verses 5 through 9, what you'd find, we're not going to read this part, but 5 through 9, what you find is the, the ordination process for Aaron and his sons begins by Moses washing them with water. He washes them down with water. And then he dresses them. They're these very intricately and meticulously made clothes, the ephod, the umen and the thurum, the breastplate, and, and the belts, and all of these things which have already been made, right? So we're entering in in the middle of the process. Already a tremendous amount of work and skill has gone into preparing for this day, the robes and the garments for the priests and the attending priests, and, and he dresses them in, the, in their outfits. And then it says in verse 10, Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. So Moses then turns to the tabernacle and he anoints all the articles of the tabernacle. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils in the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and put headbands on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So now they have been anointed. And then the next step that Moses needs to do is make a sacrifice on their behalf for their sin. So in verse 14, it says, He then presented a bull for the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. And Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood. And with his fingers, he put it all on the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Listen, the fact that he had to atone for the altar, just the distance between us. Moses also took all the fat from around the inner parts and the covering of the liver and both the kidneys and their fat, and he burned it at the altar. But the bull with its hide and its flesh and its offal, he burned up outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. So they placed their sins on the animal, and the animal was destroyed outside the camp. The sin was taken away. The next step in this ordination process is the burnt offering. This is the way, the burnt offering was the classic way that you would approach the Lord. It's the way, it's the worship offering. Think of it that way. It's the way of saying, Lord, we're here. See us, be pleased by us. And so he does this. Then he presented the ram for the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. 
Then Moses slaughtered the ram and sprinkled the blood against the altar on all sides. And he cut the ram into pieces and burned the head and the pieces of the fat. And he washed the inner parts of the legs with water and burned the whole ram on the altar as its burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire as the Lord commanded Moses. And following that for this ordination, now there needs to be a sacrifice of a ram for the ordination of Aaron and his sons. And this is what happens. And it will sound very peculiar. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy the peculiarness of it. He then presented another ram, a ram for the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Then he sprinkled blood against the altar on all sides and he took the fat, the fat tail, and all the fat around the inner parts and the covering the liver and both kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. Then from the basket of bread made without yeast, which was before the Lord, he took a cake of bread and one made with oil and a wafer and he put all, he put these on the fat portions And on the right thigh, he put all these in the hands of Aaron, his sons, and he waved them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then he took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as an offering, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. He also took the breast, Moses' share of the ordination, and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering as the Lord commanded Moses. That's the ordination offering. So they're ordained, right? Uh, Not quite. So they have to eat this meal, and then it picks up in 33. This is what the Lord says, what Moses says on behalf of the Lord. Do not leave the entrance to the temple, tent of meeting, for seven days. Until seven days of your ordination are complete, for your ordination will last seven days. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so you will not die. For that is what I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. So they go through that entire process of the washing and the clothing and the anointing and then the sin sacrifice and then the burnt offering and then the ordination sacrifice and then they sit there and then Moses turns to them and says, for seven days you have to remain in the tent. You cannot go into the tent of meeting because you're not ready to meet the Lord. You're not yet fully ordained, but you can't leave the tent of meeting either. You can't go home because right now you're consecrated and set apart you're on the way to meeting the Lord. So the last thing you'd want to do is leave, and the consequences are be careful because you don't want to die right now. This is how serious it is. You're close enough to the Lord that his eye is on you, so you cannot leave, but you are not so ready yet to go actually meet with the Lord. Verse, chapter 9, verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron, his sons, and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, take a bull, calf, for your sin offering. Right? He needs another sin offering because it's been seven days. How much sin can you do at the entrance to the tent of meeting? 
both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. And if you just follow through that chapter, this is what you see. In verse 8, Aaron makes a sin offering for himself, just like he did before. He sacrifices an animal to the Lord as a sin offering for himself. And after the sin offering, he makes a burnt offering, right? Now that I've been atoned for, now I can approach you and worship is the idea. And then after he's taken care of, he's done his sin offering, and then he's done his burnt offering, he takes the animals from the people and makes a sin offering on their behalf, and then a burnt offering on their behalf. And then since the whole assembly is there, he makes a fellowship offering on their behalf. And at that point, he blesses them. And finally, in the 23rd verse, finally, in the 23rd verse of the ninth chapter, Moses and Aaron go into the tent of meeting. And it says this in 24, when they come out, fire came down out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. We finally met God. Man, just to meet the Lord. Just to meet the Lord. And it's worth noting, a few sentences later, Aaron's sons are struck dead because they made a mistake. All of this just to meet with the Lord. This is God's prescribed method of intercession for his people. From this point on, what would happen is if you, were, if you had a sin, you'd have to go and the priest would have to intercede in the mornings for themselves and then, and then they'd intercede for you. And if there's a problem, they would intercede for you. And it, was, it always involved sacrifice and offering, sacrifice and offering. And the Lord didn't care if you weren't wealthy or poor. They said, if you're poor, that's fine. Bring a small thing. But you always have to know that you have to bring something, that there has to be this effort to go to the tabernacle and make a petition. And then the priest has to make intercession. And then you might be, atoned for. Again and again, day and night, ceaselessly, always, this constant issue of atonement, both for the priests and for the people. This is how we estimate the weight of distance between us and God. This is what God wants you to know. God wants you to know, like, I have come to meet with you, but do you see how hard it is? And in the grand revelation of God, if you can fast forward to the entrance of Christ, it is all made right. Right? Doesn't the word, the word of Hebrews talks about Christ being a, a high priest of a different order. Hebrews says it's a totally different order. He's not a priest like the Levites. He's a priest. He's a perfect priest who does not need to make atonement for himself because he's pure and he's spotless. Psalm 110, you have become a priest in the high order of Melchizedek. He's, he's this new priest. And then we find not only is he a priest, but he's a sacrifice. And John, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that Christ is not just the priest who intercedes on our behalf, but he's the perfect sacrifice, which actually does count. In the book of Hebrews, it says all of these rams and goats and grain offerings, all of those are a copy that haven't really done anything. They've simply been placeholders denoting the need for forgiveness, but not until the sacrifice of Christ did any of it matter. And not only is he the priest, and not only is he the sacrifice, but he's the temple. 
Ephesians 2 talks about the body of Christ, that we are stones in the building of Christ, of whom Christ is the capstone and is being built to be a temple. Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. All of this has been fulfilled in Christ. It hasn't been discarded. It hasn't been replaced. It's just been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So that once was very, very hard is now for us easy. So easy that if you turn back to James chapter 5, he can say, he can have the bold confidence to say, if you are in trouble, you should pray. Do you realize the gift that that is? If you're in trouble, you should pray. At one point, this was an eight-day ordeal of shed blood and washing and anointing and care where people could lose their life in order to approach the meeting with God. And James says to you, every person here, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who makes in their own spiritual journey the decision to go to the tabernacle of God and meet with him, James says, if you're in trouble, you should pray. That is precious, Christian. It is. It's a gift. Christ is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's what it says. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who is raised to life, is now at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us is the teaching. That because of what Christ has done on our behalf, he has become the perfect mediator. That before, the distance was what was before the people. But now, after what Christ has done, it's the, it's the lack of separation that's before us. Before, when all of this was being done, the people were reminded constantly of, I am not, I cannot meet with the Lord very easily. It's hard to meet with the Lord. My sin is before the Lord. When Christ comes and has fulfilled the image, the whole idea is there is no longer separation between God. In fact, in Romans 8, the way he finishes that very chapter is, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. Jesus. And James says it this way, if you're in trouble, you should pray. Prayer is a blessing. It is how we go to the tent of meeting with God. There are other ways. Prayer is a primary way that we meet with the Lord. How important must it be For all of that to have established a contract of distance, how important must prayer be now that it has been given? Some things are easy, but it is wrong to forget the cost. I want to add two ideas around this idea of the blessing of prayer that have to do specifically with intercessory prayer. Here's the first idea. Our individual access to God is not intended to be an agent of isolation from others. So simply because now that you can approach the Lord on your own behalf or by yourself, 
that is not intended by the Lord to be so that you no longer ought to do it with others. In fact, look at, look at James 5. James 5 seems to understand that intuitively when he speaks. He starts with, if you're in trouble, you should pray. That's not how he ends, by the way. He says, if you're sick, go to the elders. They'll pray for you. Then a little later he says, in fact, you ought to be confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another, and you'll receive healing through that. That even here in James is this notion that the body of Christ, the people of Christ, don't use the gift of prayer only to say, now I no longer need to reach out with the community. Now I, I solely have access, but now we have access to the Lord so that we can go for ourselves and we can go for others. We, we can all now approach the throne of God on behalf of all of us. Look at the different ways all through the scripture that we find intercessory prayer. The Lord's Prayer that you know. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is not an individual prayer. That is an intercessory prayer for God's people. You're praying for the forgiveness of all of us when you pray for that. When Paul the Apostle, through his letters to the churches, writes, how often does he say, I never cease to pray for you? In fact, he says not only that, but he turns to them and says, I ask that you would pray for me. Over and over again in the, in the scriptures, Christ himself in the latter half of John prays for the disciples and then for the believers and then for all who will come to know him. We should note that our opportunity to pray to the Lord is the effect of Christ interceding on our behalf. And we should therefore do likewise. The more you become like Christ, the more you try to draw to who he is, the more you'll be drawn to pray for others and to ask others to pray for you. Let me say it this way. Prayer, if you want to think of it this way, prayer is the fulfillment of the great commandment to love the Lord your God. When you do pray, when you come to the Lord in prayer, what you're saying to the Lord is, Lord, I am choosing to come to you. Rather, I'm forsaking all other gods, and I'm coming to you with this need. We do not always do that. Very often, before we pray, we seek the other gods in our life. We seek to solve, we seek to solve and fix and solve and fix. And at long last, when we finally put away our idols and we go to the Lord, prayer is a way that we come to the Father and we say, you alone are God and you alone have the power to see the problem and produce the fix. So prayer is, prayer is a mechanism of fulfilling the first, the great, the first great commandment. To love the Lord our God. When we go to the Lord in prayer, that's what we're doing. We're, 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 we're fulfilling that in part. Intercessory prayer is fulfilling the two great commandments. It is loving the Lord and it is loving your neighbor. It is the fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets. Because now you're not only going to the Lord in prayer, you're not only saying, Lord, I'm coming to you and not to all these things. And not only are you saying to the Lord, Lord, you alone can see the problem, and Lord, you alone have the, the perfect, good, and pleasing will, Lord. May thy will be done. May I see your will and then pray it to you, Lord. May I understand it. Not only are you doing that, but you're doing it on behalf of someone else. I'll say it one other way. As parent... 
it is not uncommon to have a child come to me and ask me for something. Dad, can I have that? That's not bad. Again, I'm not against that. We ought to go to the Lord and ask for him for things. I would rather my children come to me and ask me for something than go around me and take it or go to some other person and ask for it. So I'm fundamentally grateful that my children know that I'm the person to come to to ask for things. That's a recognition of who I am. But, you know, how we are as children. We can go to our parent and say, may I have, may I have, may I have, may I have. And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's selfish, but it is, it is wholly different. It's wholly different and such a blessing when, as a parent, the brother or sister comes to me and says, my brother really needs something. I just think, this is what I believe. I believe the Lord hears with special ears prayers made out of love for other people. Because he knows, he knows you are fulfilling the first commandment and the second commandment. He sees that you're loving him and you're loving others. And I believe his heart, the, the, the key to unlock his heart and to give the answers is not to keep it to yourself and pray, but to share it to be prayed for. And that's why we're spending this month in intercessory prayer. Not just, we're not praying this month intercessorily and then never again. That's why we're focusing on intercessory prayer this month. And so I, I, I want to share a little bit about where this is going. Hopefully, it's my heart that uh, you would be changed in the way you view prayer and in your practice of prayer in two ways. One, that you would not cease to pray for others. That's the first way. And two, that you would begin to share your weaknesses with others. There are reasons you're not talking, and not all of them are right. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a lack of faith. You know how often we don't pray or don't share because we're scared the Lord won't do it, and then as though the Lord is going to prove himself false? So that's it. First, it, my, my deepest desire is that you would begin to pray more diligently for other people, that you would take time and establish time to be in prayer for others. My second is that you would begin to receive prayer on your behalf. And some of you are so good at this, and some of you are silent. But additionally, uh, we will begin. To, we are going to begin to bring intercessory prayer back as a regular part of the worship service on Sunday, and we're taking the month. Part of the reason we're doing this this month is to teach in that direction, so that it doesn't come back as uh, something less than it ought to be. So let me just describe to you a little bit about what's going to happen in the near future. Um, in the near future, what will happen is during the worship set, as you're standing and you're singing. Um, and you're worshiping the Lord, what will likely happen is a man and a woman and the pastor will come down front and the worship leader will say, if anyone needs intercessory prayer, there's people here to receive you. And they'll just be, there'll be a few people down here while everyone's singing. And you'll have about a minute or so just to move to the front, be prayed for, uh, cared for. If it's something big, you can go into the hallway or the prayer room and continue to pray about it. But it's, it's simply to begin to model an exercise on Sunday, what we ought to be doing on Monday. And in order to do this, um, I need some volunteers. 
Uh, I'll need help. And uh, specifically, my, 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 probably my biggest need is for ladies. I think it is no small thing to have a lady there to pray for other women. And, and I have the deacons. I can kind of call the deacons because help me out. Uh, but with regards to women praying for women, uh, I do encourage, I encourage anybody who has a heart to participate in this to see me and share their heart with me. But I will say to the women, at this time, I, I have a very short list. And uh, I do think it's healthy for us to begin to practice this. And for those of you who haven't been around for a while, intercessory prayer has long been part of the worship service in this church. And so it's been a while to figure out how to bring it back in a, in a good and healthy way. Thank you. Amen. Will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we come before you grateful for the work of Christ. We know your word says that our spirit prays well when we don't know what to say, and we thank you for that. We know that your word says that your son is now seated beside you, interceding for us. And we know that that was not easy. Lord, I pray that a spirit of prayer would uh, weave itself into the life of this church in, in a profound, godly, and meaningful way. Lord, I pray it would be of your spirit and not of law. Lord, I pray that you would help to unshackle some of us who are so apprehensive to pray uh, in various ways, Lord, that you would release them and, and encourage them and empower them to pray and so that they might pray not just for themselves but for others around them, Lord. And for others, Lord, I pray that you would release them to share the burdens that are on their hearts so that they might be prayed for. And Father, we pray that this would become a moment of growth in the life of our church, Lord, not just a moment. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.